Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. This is a solo run-through today. We had, finally, the 2021 NBA Draft last night. I was excited for it, to say the least. I had some wonderful co-hosts on with me last night during our live draft show. Matt Maurer, NBA Draft Historian, Jordan and Jonathan Ennis. From the assisted development podcast we had a pretty consistent audience all night so everyone who was able to stop by even for just a little bit i certainly appreciate anyone coming through joining in the chat with us we had plenty of overstated members in there as well so so that was always fun going back and forth with everybody live on the stream listen the draft went off the rails a little bit last night i think everyone would definitely admit that but nonetheless there were Plenty of picks made. I'm going to be giving my initial reactions on this podcast to all of the draft picks that were made. There will be some undrafted free agent mentions as well. I put out on the Twitter that I would have some undrafted free agents marked down to the teams that are going to be getting their, their first look at those guys, I guess is what I would call it, because there's still reports out there whether some of these are are guaranteed two-way deals, whether they're just training camp deals, Exhibit 10 contracts. Um, These guys are just joining up with a team for for Summer League specifically. A lot of those details are are still fuzzy at the time when we're recording this podcast uh, on Friday afternoon. So we'll just make quick mention to some of those guys. Maybe I'll have a thought or two here and there, but this is mainly about the draft picks that were made last night. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into it. This is not a grades podcast. We will have plenty of other shows after this. We will be doing draft grades by division. I already have a few guests lined up. Some should be very excited uh, because we have a few people from draft Twitter that are going to be joining us. I know Chuck's definitely going to be stopping by from Chucking Darts for one of the episodes as well. So make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. You're getting it wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Definitely keep locked into our channel because we're going to be having a lot more content over the next month and a half, and I will be attendance out in Summer League, so we're hoping to do some some live podcasts from out at NBA Summer League in Las Vegas as well. So still plenty of work to be done, but let's just get some initial reactions right here. So the Detroit Pistons, they were on the clock. We knew who they were taking at number one. Despite some of the reports that were out there, they were wavering between a few guys, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley. Had some really good workouts for them. There was debate within the front office, but they took Cade. We knew they were going to take Cade. And why not? He is arguably the most complete wing prospect in this draft class. Two or a three. I think he slides right into number two for them so he can play in between Killian Hayes and Sadiq Bey. Give that lineup more versatility on both ends of the floor. I'm very excited for what that Pistons team's going to look like. They also picked up good value in the second round. Um, And and I'm just going to say the numbers for these picks. Obviously, there were a bunch of trades that were made last night, and it's impossible for for even somebody like me to keep up with which team traded which pick at what time. But Detroit threw some moves. They ended up getting Isaiah Livers, who was the 42nd pick. Luca Garza was the 52nd pick. And then in a trade made towards the end of the night, um, Balsa Koprovica was the 57th pick. So Detroit got some intriguing options in the back end of the second round as well. I certainly said Isaiah Liver's name on one of the guest appearances that I did over the last week as maybe an intriguing second round target, somebody who we should not have forgotten about 
He can obviously shoot the lights out from the basketball. And what do you want to surround guys like Cade and Killian Hayes with? You want to surround them with shooters who are giving you bang for your buck. So Livers definitely fits the bill. Luca Garza is somebody who I'm not surprised he was drafted. The the closer we got to draft day, I definitely thought he was going to be drafted. I mean, somebody who had like a 35 PER in his last year in college, that's that's not somebody who should be riding the undrafted free agent pine. And, and I'm glad for Garza, even though Detroit has some big men that are going to play in front of him, I still think he has a legitimate shot to crack that rotation for some kind of role. He's another stretch five potential type threat who will be able to spread the floor for some of those playmakers, just like how I talked about Isaiah Livers will fit right in because of his shooting ability. Garza will also be able to stretch the floor for some of those guys. So I do like those picks. And then there are a few undrafted free agents that are reportedly going to to be with the team in some capacity. We have Chris Smith out of UCLA um, and Anthony Tark as well. Two guys who have certainly had their favorite followings on draft Twitter, especially the Chris Smith um deal i I really like that for for the pistons because chris smith i've talked about this on the pod before when i was doing the tears he got a little bit of a raw deal um just in terms of his injury status he he got hurt he only played eight games last year for ucla but i think he would have been really on track to showing improvement across multiple different aspects of his game and i think he would have had a pretty dynamite year for ucla probably would have been drafted if he was healthy the entire year. So that's just more value for Detroit. I'll say I'll say well done on that one. Again, this is not a grades podcast. I won't give out a letter grade right now, but I like what the Detroit Pistons did last night. Houston Rockets. This was my favorite haul of the night. The favorite haul of everybody else I had on for the live draft show last night. Man, did, did they get some awesome pickups for value? So they got Jalen Green at number two. They made a trade to get Alper and Shengun, who was pick number 16. And then with 23 and 24, their picks, they were able to draft Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher, respectively. So these are four guys, as I said on Twitter, who you could make an argument, at least I would be willing to make the argument, that any of these four guys particularly the first two, uh, could have been lottery picks. So when you're talking about getting talent like Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher in the back end of the first round to go along with Jalen Green, who certainly has one of the highest upsides in the draft class, Alper and Shangun, who I've been making an argument this whole time, once you get past five, who else would you throw in that high upside conversation at that point? If you're looking to be star hunting with a sixth pick and on, I mean, I know Jonathan Kaminga, who we'll get to a little bit later in the pod, who Golden State was able to pick up. Obviously, he has some upside, albeit him being a raw talent right now. But Shen Goon, all of the things he brings to the table, he's going to be a really intriguing big for Houston to be able to bring off the bench. It's more likely that Garuba would start next to Christian Wood, which is perfectly fine. He gives Houston much-needed defensive versatility. Him and Jay Sean Tate are a really nice defensive combination right there at the three and four spots, if that's the that's where they decide to go. Josh Christopher, really good scoring guard off the bench, will be a nice backup third kind of guard for them. And at times, if if the Houston Rockets want to play like a small ball lineup, you can have Kevin Porter Jr., Josh Christopher, and Jalen Green out there. Um, maybe a few... Mixed results defensively, but I always thought that Christopher was not a bad defender in college. That's one of the aspects to his game, or if you if you heard any discussion 
from some some draft analysts and experts when they were talking about Josh Christopher. Some of them actually had better things to say about his defensive game than, than what they saw from his offensive game at different times for Arizona State. So, yeah, Houston, Houston picks up a bunch, a bunch of great fits. I really like what they did. The massive amount of value they got with four first-round picks. Again, for like the third time I'm saying it now, it's not a grades podcast, but I will definitely be giving the Houston Rockets an A grade. That's, that's without a doubt, unquestionably. What a job done by them. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they had one draft pick that they made last night, but at the same time, really, really, really good pick for them. They got Evan Mobley. We said on this podcast for weeks leading up to it that Evan Mobley was probably the best fit for him would be in Cleveland. And Cleveland picks up who I envision as a four-man to start. He fits right in alongside Jared Allen. That front line between Okoro, Mobley, and Allen is going to be vicious on the defensive end. Offensively at the moment, those two other guards are intact from last year, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Neither of them has been on the move. So when you're talking about a backcourt like that who isn't the best defensively, there might be some guys getting past and, and, and breaking through inside from the perimeter. They're going to be running into that vicious of a front line. I really love the defensive fit. Cavaliers also made a trade last night. They're, they're going to be bringing in Ricky Rubio. So even if something does happen to one of those two guards, I know Rubio is technically a better defender than someone to give him credit for, but not perfect out of the perimeter, applying pressure at the point of attack containing somebody he's not perfect so having a defensive front line that can deal with and, and handle pressure pretty well having a switchable front court a lot of those guys can guard multiple positions jared athlete is a plus jared allen's a plus athlete at the center spot so he's not going to be completely eviscerated and torn up in, in different kind of pick and roll coverages either i i like what cleveland's building i really like what they did last night taking mobley he kind of fell to them houston didn't take him they took jalen green so Cavaliers, well done for you on initial reactions. Really where the draft shook up last night, the start of it was with Scotty Barnes actually going at number four to Toronto instead of Jalen Suggs. Um, that, that did surprise me a little bit. I don't know what the Raptors are going to do with Kyle Lowry. You would have thought that if they were moving off of Kyle Lowry that Jalen Suggs would have fit right in and... Obviously, he, he's not going to play like an all-star in his first year in the league, not in a rookie season, but just in terms of some of the value and, and, and some of the things that Kyle Lowry did well for that team, I mean, you, you would expect Jalen Suggs to be able to replicate some of that, the, the defense at the guard spot, being able to handle the basketball, make sound decisions with it, just being that competitive, fiery point guard and a leader for that team. I mean, Kyle Lowry has been the leader for the Toronto Raptors for a number of years now, and Suggs would have been able to step in from a leadership perspective and really provide value there. But they went with Scotty Barnes. They went with more of a project-type player. It really wonders me if they see Scotty Barnes as this switchable, versatile five-man. Maybe they let him grow into that position if they're going to keep Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Again, that's another really intriguing front line when you're talking about defensive versatility, potentially. Man, that, that's just a really fun front line to be able to watch on both ends of the floor for, for what could be years to come. So I don't necessarily blame the Raptors for, for going with Scotty Barnes. He was more of an upside play, but that lets Jalen Suggs slide to Orlando at number five. 
you know the revenge tour is going to be coming for Jalen Suggs. He already talked about how even if he would have been drafted in number four, those three teams ahead of Toronto, he was already making a kill list for those teams that, that he was going to come out, be on a revenge tour, and he was going to prove everybody wrong that he should have arguably been the top pick in the whole draft. And listen, the, the fit's a technically questionable because Orlando does have a logjam of guards. They have Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Gary Harris at the moment. So Suggs is going to be like a fifth guard in there. But there's no doubt in my mind that Orlando will see him as a long-term play. They will see him as somebody who's going to be a starting backcourt mate with one of their younger guys, regardless of who that is for the long-term. So again, at, at number five, I had Suggs in, in my tier two, along with Evan Mobley. He was one of the top four guys for me, definitely, in this draft class. So getting a top four guy at number five, that's a media value right there. A lot of people are really excited about the pick they made at number eight as well, Franz Wagner. Um, Franz is going to come in, be able to step in right away, help in that 3-4 role for that team defensively, offer some, offer some defensive versatility. He's not a knockdown shooter right now. But if he can stretch the floor to a respectable rate, again, if he's able to do anything off the dribble offensively for that team, he's at least a very smart decision maker, underrated passer at his position. So I really like what the Orlando Magic did with both of those picks, immediately helping to continue to upgrade that defense while providing some offensive versatility. And two guys with maybe they're not the highest of possible ceilings in this draft class, but... Listen, they're, they're going to get value. They're going to get value out of those two picks, and they are two legitimate building blocks for the future. And I think if you're Orlando, that's, that's really all you wanted to walk away with in this draft was two really solid building blocks for the future. Oklahoma City. I said that Scotty Barnes was a little bit of a shakeup at the four spot. Man, they really blew the doors off when they took Josh Giddy at number six last night. He was a name that was not connected to them one bit. This seemed like it was going to be Booknight all the way at number six, but James Booknight actually ended up falling a little bit in the draft. We'll get to him a little later, but he ended up going to Charlotte at number 11. I was on the Tropic Thunder podcast again last night. They had me in their Spotify green room making a few reactions after the draft. I said to them then that I'm not the biggest giddy guy. I know a few people have tried to sell uh, sell me on him. I don't see this, this point guard type upside for Josh Giddy. I just think he's going to be a really solid forward in the league for a number of years. At the very least, he certainly gives you somebody who is going to make the right decisions on the basketball court. He's going to keep the ball moving on offense. It's not going to stick in his hands. And when you look at an Oklahoma City Thunder team that's built around an isolation-type scorer at this point, like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, for as much as I could talk up the potential he has as a playmaker, the how I think he deserves more offensive responsibility within that lineup, he's kind of just like a three-level scorer. At least that's how Oklahoma City wanted to use him last year. They wanted to use him as their primary scoring option, rightfully so, but he's not your most traditional playmaker. Uh, they kind of they kind of viewed him as like a secondary type playmaker. So maybe he slots into more of that primary role and, and Giddy's able to come in and be more of a secondary playmaker for that team if he's able to earn enough minutes. I, I, I question how much scoring value 
He's going to provide out of the gate. I've said that on the podcast before as well. He's not a knockdown shooter yet from deep. I question some of the stuff he's able to do off the bounce. He, he wasn't the great finisher overseas in the NBL. So I don't know how much scoring punch they're going to get from Giddy, But at the very least, they just need guys in the lineup who will keep the ball moving and make smart decisions. That's all a young team can really ask for. And speaking of guys who can move the ball, I mean, they also pick up Trey Mann at 18. They pick up Jeremiah Robinson Earl at 32. So again, two guys who... Trey Mann certainly has upside of his own, don't get me wrong. But they're also, they, they can be, albeit Trey Mann's more of a basic playmaker in, in design sets where he has like really easy one or two reads he can make to get the ball out of his hands if he's going to pass it to somebody else and then he looks to score. He can still make those decisions. Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova, really, really smart player. As, as Mavs Draft always likes to say on, on social media, Jeremiah Robinson Earl just doesn't make mistakes. He is as close to a mistake-free prospect as you're probably going to find in this draft class. So there seems like a theme with OK, OKC. They want to take guys with, at the very least, good positional size and or plus size for their position who can handle the ball and make plays for others. That's really the type of value they're getting here. They also got Aaron Wiggins at the 55 spot. I do like the Wiggins pickup. He's been inconsistent through his college career. We've talked about that in the pod, but I think for, for what OKC's doing, he's just another guy they can bring off the bench. They can trust him to provide some sort of offensive value. So from that aspect, I think OKC did just fine with four picks. And I saw somebody tweet out that they actually ended up a net positive in terms of the number of draft picks they have. They, they're a net plus one on draft picks because of some trades they made throughout the night. So kudos to OKC. They added a bunch of talent and they still have their crazy stockpile of assets. So I think OKC is going to be just fine. What have I done something different with the six pick? Yes, but I'm not going to fault them too much for, for what they did. I think that Trey Mann was an awesome swing at 18 and then Giddy, despite how I feel will fit right in. Robinson Earl is a solid pick at 32. So yeah, I think the OKC Thunder are going to be just fine. Then we get to Golden State, who had the 7th and 14th picks. They did not make a trade. They used both of those picks on what I would consider to be more upside plays than anything else. They took Jonathan Kuminga at number 7, and they took Moses Moody at 14. Moses Moody fell a little bit. Some people thought he might be the target for, for Sacramento or Memphis at 9 and 10, respectively. Us on the, the live show, we certainly thought he'd be a target in, in like that middle of the lottery range. But he fell to the back end of the lottery. Listen, if, if Golden State is willing to be patient with these guys, they could provide so much value in like two or three years down the road. At that point, at number seven, he had the highest upside out of anybody else on the board besides Opera and Shengun. Like at that point at number seven, those would be the two upside plays for me. So Golden State wants to take a swing. That's perfectly fine. I know that some people would have looked at these two picks and said, well, you can add two older guys who might be able to provide immediate value. We've seen plenty of examples where drafting guys at the age of like a Davion Mitchell or a Chris Duarte, sometimes it doesn't always work out for those guys in the league either. So um, if you're going to take a swing a theoretical swing, why not take it on somebody like Kuminga, who, as raw as he is, that we've talked about before, 
his competitive fire, his willingness to handle more within an offense, his desire to get better. Why not bank on somebody like that at seven and then Moses Moody at 14? Listen, I, I've acknowledged I think he might have a scarier floor than some might initially realize, but he has a floor. He has a floor as maybe he's not an above-average defender, but at the very least, 6'6", with a crazy 7'1 wingspan. Maybe he's at least an average defender, and even if he's like a league average or slightly above league average three-point shooter, I mean, that's a player that fits right in with what Golden State wants to do. At least he's somebody who isn't going to disappoint you from the corners. If Steph or Draymond kicks the ball out to one of the corners, Moses Moody's going to be there ready to catch it and put it up. So, from that aspect, I think both Golden State at effectively two undrafted agents that they're going to have their eyes on. Ja'Cory McLaughlin, I've gushed about McLaughlin on this podcast. When I did one of my tiers podcasts, I said that he was being massively undervalued as one of the top senior point guard talents. I think Golden State's going to have a really good chance to turn him into a legitimate rotation player. It'll be interesting to see if a competition boils up between him and, and their pick last year at the point guard spot, Nico Mannion, if, if one of those two guys is able to break through and, and really earn some, some trusted minutes. Maybe not a ton of minutes for Golden State next year, but it'll be interesting to see if one of those two guys earns some kind of decent minutes-type role. And then they also got... Um, Jordan Shackle out of San Diego State. They're going to bring him in as well. They'll, they'll get some eyes on him. So, I, yeah, I, I really like what Golden State did. I, I got no complaints with what they did. I do have some complaints with, with what Sacramento did, though. Um, ta- taking Davion Mitchell at number nine when they have De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, maybe Buddy Heald's out the door. There was There was a report that he might be out the door because the Lakers were apparently looking to make a trade and, and bring in Buddy Heald. And then that trade completely blew up in somebody's face, whether it was blowing up in, in somebody's face in a big way behind the scenes, or maybe it was just Woj that got it wrong. But that led to the whole Russell Westbrook deal being done with Washington. So Buddy Heald is still with the Kings at the moment. It would not shock me if he still moved at some point because when you have media reporting that a trade is nearly done with a player you can't expect that player to be happy and still want to play in that in in that respective market so if they move buddy that technically opens up a guard spot for davion to come in he would be the third guard i just think you could have gotten a different kind of value at number nine but maybe i'm wrong maybe davion's going to be worth that pick at number nine and he's going to be an immediate type of contributor for them i i don't think that Focusing on defense in any form or capacity is a bad move. But offensively, if the jump shot translates, great. If his jump shot hovers more towards the level that we think it could, because he's never been a good free throw shooter, last year was really his only good year that he had shooting the ball from deep. I know that's been talked about a bunch, but if those concerns are true... If he's not a true point guard, if he's really just a microwave-type spark plug off the bench at number nine who maybe provides some defensive value depending on who he's playing next to, I just I just don't... I'm not a fan of the fit. I'm not a fan of the fit. I have nothing against Davion Mitchell. I just think I would have definitely went a different direction. They did get an interesting guy at 39, Nemias Keita. 
depending on who you talk to, some people might have thought he'd be like the best big man available in the second round. He certainly went over somebody like a Charles Bassey who ended up going at 53. That pick ended up going to the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll get to him a little later. But Keita at 39, at the very least, gives Sacramento more depth at the center position. He's somebody who he's not going to wow you on offense scoring the basketball, but he has some untapped passing upside. He can be a, a, a sneaky good playmaker for his position. He showed that in Utah State's game, the NCAA tournament. And then obviously he's a rebounding presence on both ends of the floor. He'll run to the rim on offense. He'll run back on defense. So I like the value that they could possibly get from that pick at 39 and then undrafted free agent names that are floating around for them. DJ Stewart from Duke. Shout out to, to Matt Coleman, who we interviewed on this podcast. Um, he's going to be doing some work with the Sacramento Kings. And then Damian Jefferson is also reported to be in, in, in talks with them for some kind of deal. So I'm a little question. I'm, I'm questioning the Sacramento Kings pick a little bit, but Listen, they got value at other places in the draft, so I, I won't hate on the Kings too much. Memphis at number 10, taking another surprise. So really, the, the surprises that threw me up to this point were, were it started with Scotty Barnes at 4, Josh Giddy at 6, Davion at 9. Then you go Zaire Williams at 10, a place where originally Giddy was actually being mocked to Memphis heavily at 10. Or you would have thought somebody like Moses Moody might be a target for them. Maybe they draft a little older, looking for more of a, an immediate contributor. Maybe they look the way of like a Corey Kispert. But they went pure upside here. They went Zaire Williams. A as I said to, to, to Justin Lewis, who's a big Memphis Grizzlies guy, I was on his podcast this past week as a guest. As I said to him on social media, listen, Zaire Williams could be a massive upside play at some point here in the future. Listen, if everything turns out right for him, if, his, if the defense is able to translate over, he was not horrible defensively at Stanford. If he's able to have some time developing, getting some reps in the G League, get his confidence back, that jump shot starts to come together. He has deep range on his jump shot, was really comfortable at least going to the pull-up along the baseline, the mid-range pull-up. If some of that shot-making starts to come together, he could be a really intriguing perimeter option for Memphis two years down the road at, at 6'9", 6'10", his size, his length, his shooting ability. They're picking for pure upside. I don't blame them. That was their decision to make with the pick. I personally, I'm a little more puzzled. So this is the second year in a row they've actually traded back into the first round. Um, they, they got pick number 30 for the second year in a row. Last year, that pick was Desmond Bain. This year, they take Santi Aldama out of Loyola, Maryland. Somebody who, listen, he might be, he, he might go overseas. I don't know if he's going to come to the league right away. Maybe they picked him because obviously they value him for the future, but he's also somebody they can, they can stash overseas. He's going to get a contract overseas, so they don't have to have that money on the books right away. They have his rights. Maybe that's why they made the play there. Whether he's somebody who can come in and help a few years down the road, that remains to be seen, but that was... Out of all the picks they could have made at number 30, well, when you got had guys like Jared Butler and Sharif Cooper still on the board, who we'll get to later, that was just a really interesting pick for me at 30. And then looks like the undrafted free agent market, they're, they're targeting Eve Pons and Romeo Weems. Eve Pons being one of the best athletes in the class, uh, a, a physical freak of nature with like under 5% body fat. 
will provide immediate defensive value and toughness if he's able to earn some minutes with the Memphis Grizzlies. Romeo Weems is a pure upside play, um, somebody who was really raw at the ball, but you notice the, si- the size that he measures in about 6'7", wing who could shoot the basketball. If he develops into something two, three years down the road, then Memphis might have two wings that they can bring in at, at different points for, for some offense and some much-needed perimeter shooting. Charlotte Hornets taking James Booknight at number 11. I talk about Moody, Kispert. We're both there at number 10 for Memphis. James Booknight was also there at number 10 for Memphis. But they went with Zaire Williams. The Charlotte Hornets get James Booknight. The best, if th- this is one of the best fits, I think, that could have taken place in the first round. Something that I didn't know if this could definitely happen. I would have projected James Booknight to go higher. I think Mike Schmitz even said on ESPN's draft cast that, that he had Booknight as like a borderline top five guy. I mean, when, when you take a look at, at what Booknight did really well in college at UConn, he was an off-the-ball scorer primarily. I know he has, he has moments where he created shots off of a live dribble. You know, he can be a pull-up type shot creator. He wasn't always efficient doing so, but he was efficient off the basketball. Now you put him in the backcourt next to somebody like LaMelo Ball, who's going to have everybody running down the floor. And when I say everybody, even the other draft picks that Charlotte made, it's like they, they are tailor-making their lineup to just be a transition threat constantly. You already have guys like Miles Bridges and, and P.J. Washington in fold. Now you're bringing in Book Knight, who is not only an off-ball cutter in half-court sets, but he will be a transition threat as well. Um, filling the lane properly, getting out on the break. Kai Jones at number 19. When you talk about what can Kai Jones do in a basketball floor right now, I don't trust him to do a ton of things, but I do at least trust him to leverage his athleticism, his speed at his size, getting out on the break, being a lob threat in the half court. These are things you can ask Kai Jones to do where he can find some sort of comfort level within an offense. If you're using a 19th pick on Kai Jones, you probably think that at some point for you next year he's going to be able to play some kind of minutes. How do you introduce him into an offense? You don't ask him to do too much. You ask him to do the easy things, be on the receiving end of a bunch of fancy Lamella ball passes. So I actually do like both of those picks for them within the top 20. JT Thor, pure upside play at 37. Same thing you're going to be asking him to do if he's getting any kind of minutes in the NBA next year. He might be another guy who bounces around more more towards the G League than, than actually on Charlotte's NBA roster. But you would ask him to do the same things as Kai Jones, get out in the open court, run, be a lob threat in transition. Scotty Lewis on the back end at 56. Listen, his offensive game leaves a lot to be desired. Never developed a jump shot through, through the two years here at Florida. But... Another awesome athlete on the break. That's clearly what Charlotte was going for. I actually really like what they've done here. I would definitely give a higher grade to to Charlotte as well. I mentioned that I'll likely give the Houston Rockets an A. I don't know what I'll give Charlotte yet, but it'll it'll be a higher grade than not. I really like the picks and the value they were able to get, particularly with those two picks in the top 20. And then DJ Carton is apparently an undrafted free agent target for them. I don't have details on on what that's looking like, whether that's just a training camp deal, whether that might end up being a guaranteed two-way contract. I don't know yet. It looks like it's a training camp deal. But like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm not focused too much on the details, just trying to, to link guys to teams 
and be able to give some sort of a comment or shout out to them or a little bit of insight. DJ Carden could be a useful backup guard for, for Charlotte in the future, backup point guard behind LaMelo if everything works out properly. San Antonio Spurs. This, to me, was the biggest head-scratcher of the entire night. And by the way, this is not a knock on Josh Primo. I've had conversations with the Primo camp. I got nothing but love for Josh Primo. I said, right at the beginning of last year, I took one look at him, and I was like, I think this kid's going to be a first-round pick. And I planted my flag in that island all year long, and what do you know? Not only is he a first-round pick, he's a freaking lottery pick, man. At number 12, that's impressive for Primo. But as for San Antonio, it's not just that they took Primo in the lottery. Obviously, Primo wasn't going to be ready to play major NBA minutes this upcoming year. Primo is a pick that you're, you're, you're stashing him away, giving him some time to develop over the next two or three years, and then at that point, you're seeing what you have in the asset. They already have enough young guards. They have DeJounte Murray. They still have Derek White in the fold. They have Lonnie Walker. Kellen Johnson is a guard slash wing. Like, I just don't know where Primo fits on this Spurs team next year to, to earn minutes and develop. So is he going to be exclusively a G League type player or is he going to get any kind of opportunity in San Antonio? Pop usually doesn't like to play rookies to begin with. I just, I question if they can get any immediate value out of the pick. But listen, San Antonio must see something that they like for, for as much crap as we might want to give San Antonio from a developmental aspect. Over the last three, four years, they usually end up making decent to good draft picks at the very least. They know talent when they see it. Whether they can get the most out of it and or develop it, as of late, that's been a different story. But they at least rec- do a great job of recognizing talent. And Primo, it's not like he was like this second round type prospect that I wouldn't take in the first round. He had a first round grade for me, so I, I won't... I won't I I won't crap on the pick too hard. I'll put it that way. Uh, Joe Wieskamp at 41. Shooter, we know what he's going to bring. Shooting, if they get any sort of defensive versatility out of him. Tested not perfect athletically, obviously, at the combine, but tested better athletically and measured in better than some might have initially thought. We know what he's on the court to do. He's a floor spacer. So I'm fine with them taking that pick. And then I think Matt Mitchell has been linked to them for Summer League. If I'm correct, I don't think he has any type of deal in place. And he'll, he'll be there for Summer League with the Spurs, though, I'm pretty sure. Indiana Pacers. Chris Duarte at 13. Listen, we know what, we know what they're going to get from Chris Duarte. A bunch of instant offense, a vet, oldest player in the draft, can come in and help Indiana right away. As I've had a few people say to me, Indiana's kind of set. As much as they don't have like a star star, they're kind of like set at every position, right? So at that point, they're just looking for quality depth who can help them get back in the playoffs next year. And I definitely see that from Duarte. I don't know if I would take him in the lottery, but 
you know, top 20, top 25 isn't out of the question. So I'm fine with Duarte going at 13 there. I think he'll be able to help Indiana. And then undrafted free agents linked with them. Dwayne Washington Jr. out of Ohio State, who had a really good NBA draft combine. We called out his name. Uh, when I did that podcast with, with backcourt violation, Tyler Rucker, we said that Dwayne Washington, if he goes back to school, he could have been a first rounder. In my opinion, he had that chance, but kept his name in the draft and hear his name called, but it looks like he's going to have a deal in place with Indiana and then Terry Taylor as well. The Washington Wizards getting Corey Kispert at 15. Again, they're just trying to put more immediate value around Bradley Beal. And what better way to try to maximize as much playmaking that you can get out of Bradley Beal than surround him with more shooting. Apparently, uh, Davis Bertans might be on the move. So definitely like a Bertans type player to bring in would be Corey Kispert. He can be a guy who's on a much cheaper contract than Bertans and provide your shooting value there. Isaiah Todd, they make a deal for, they're bringing him in. Todd was number 31. I like really like the upside play. Todd's been... If you've been listening to this podcast at all over the last two or three weeks, you know I, I, I've been on the Todd bandwagon. I think that he had legitimate first-round value. If I was OKC, I might have tried to, to use one of those picks on somebody like Isaiah Todd. They ended up trading two of their three top 18 picks that they had. But Isaiah Todd ends up going to Washington now. Really, really, really smart long-term play for Tommy Shepard in that front office. And then undrafted free agent targets, Jay Huff and Jordan Goodwin are going to be coming in there. New Orleans Pelicans, Trey Murphy the third, number 17, but they get involved because of that trade they made with Memphis, so Memphis went up to 10, Pelicans went back to 17. Listen, some people like Chuck from Chucking Darts absolutely love Trey Murphy. I got there in terms of him being like this fringe lottery type talent, so in my opinion, getting him at 17... That's absolutely fine value. He's someone who is a mature kid. He's, a, he's smart. He's a hard worker. He's going to provide a lot of good chemistry stuff for that New Orleans locker room. Herbert Jones at 35, taking a flyer on him. Older player, but really interesting defensive type of playmaker. New Orleans just, they, they need defense, period. So I don't mind. I don't mind them taking a swing on somebody like an Herbert Jones. At, at, at a pick like 35, early second round pick. And then Jose Alvarado is an undrafted free agent target. The New York Knicks had 19 and 21. They ended up not making a pick with either of them. They made separate deals and they got Quentin Grimes at 25, Miles McBride at 36. And then they, they drafted Jericho Sims at 58 at the end of the second round. And then Amir Sims is going to be an undrafted free agent target for them. So what do they get? They got plenty of defense. Quentin Grimes provides you defensive value on the wing. Miles McBride provides you defensive value at the guard spot. And Jericho Sims, if everything pans out for him, provides you defensive value in the front court. So Tibbs being a defensive coach, obviously he got a lot of what he likes there. Grimes and McBride will shooting value at their positions. We heard Tom Thibodeau interview when, when, when ESPN was doing their combine broadcast. He said that he was looking for guys who could play 3 and D type roles. He got them in Grimes and McBride and Jericho Sims being one of the best athletes in this draft class. Really interesting flyer to take towards the back end of the second round. I like the draft for them. I don't love it, but I like it. I see the value. I see where they're going. I think all three of those guys 
could definitely have some sort of role for the Knicks next year. Atlanta Hawks. Man, talk about another interesting draft. Jalen Johnson at number 20. Raw basketball player has been my evaluation all year long. But listen, if, if he pans out, if a lot of the talent that we saw in high school comes to fruition, if he ends up being this really athletic playmaking four who can do some interesting things on the ball, but more importantly, continue to fill the lane, run the floor in transition and be a lob threat for either Trey Young or another little fun little guard they got at 48, Sharif Cooper. I mean, that, that right there is immediate value for Atlanta. Let him do some easy things on the basketball court, bring more of his offensive and defensive games around, give him light responsibility, and let him just learn how to play the game of basketball at a higher level around a bunch of talent. A Hawks team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals this past year. I don't know if I'd pick them to go that far again next year, but at the very least, they're, they're, they will no doubt in my mind be back in the playoffs. If they can get to the second round, wouldn't shock me. If they make another run, technically it wouldn't shock me. But getting value at number 20 with somebody like Jalen Johnson, getting immense value in Sharif Cooper, somebody who I had warned up to the idea of taking him with a lottery pick potentially or even targeting him in like the mid-first round. We know what the concerns are. We know what the shooting concerns are. He's undersized. But best handle I've seen from a draft prospect since Kyrie Irving all the way back for Duke in 2011. One of the best pick-and-roll playmakers in this entire draft class. Some of the best court vision from anybody in this entire draft class. If he pans out, I mean, you can literally run a lot of the same stuff you run with Trey Young with Sharif Cooper. So in reality, it's like if Sharif Cooper's your lead backup guard off the bench, it's like Atlanta doesn't have to change up their game plan, regardless of if Trey Young's in the game or not. They can do a lot of the same stuff. Sharif will also love to throw lobs to whoever else is catching him for the Hawks, whether that's Jalen Johnson, Yeka Kongwu, Clint Capella, John Collins. Sharif's going to fit right in in Atlanta. I know Simon Rath, friend of the podcast, was, was cheering when Sharif was picked at number 48. Talk about value. The Los Angeles Lakers did not make a draft pick last night. Their pick went to Washington. Um, and then that, that pick ended up, ended up being flipped again. It's so hard to keep track of where all these picks ended up going. But undrafted free agent targets for them. Joel Iyayi, I can't believe that Iyayi wasn't drafted. But again, the Lakers, now with a big three of Westbrook, LeBron, AD, they're just going to look for guys who can come in and play a role right away. Ayayi will be able to do that. Austin Reeves will likely be able to do that as well. I think they have guaranteed two-way contracts, so good pickups for the Lakers there. Shondi Brown and Mac McClung are also reported to be undrafted free agent targets for them, so I got no problems with any of the four of those guys in undrafted free agent territory. Well done by the Lakers, getting on the phones quick, building relationships, and bringing in some, some really good character players to, to come in and, and, and try and help that Lakers team next year, likely in some capacity. The Clippers got off of 25, made a few deals, ended up getting Jason Preston at 33 and Brandon Boston Jr. at 51. Two really interesting upside plays. I thought that the Clippers might have been able to pick up somebody like a Dayron Sharp at 25 or maybe even a point guard like a Miles McBride there, bring in somebody who, in my opinion, could provide a little more immediate value and, and, and fill some needs to what I think that Clippers team Definitely has openings for next year, but Jason Preston might be that guy at the point guard spot, might be able to provide a little bit of immediate value. 
certainly a playmaker, somebody who can score the ball when it's given to him, can shoot from the outside. I question a lot of his his shot creation ability. I've talked about that on on one of the Tears podcasts, but he is an upside play, still has 6'4", really good size for the point guard spot. And then Brandon Boston, we talked about him enough. We know what the story is there. He's going to need some developmental time. Fell all the way from a preseason top 10 selection to the back end of the second round. Brandon Boston will need to develop, but I got no problems with him being the pick, one of the picks for the Clippers. Denver Nuggets, Bones Highland at 26. Love it. Absolutely love it. Not that he's going to be as good as Jamal Murray in his rookie year. Not trying to say that, but while Jamal Murray's out, they can have Nashawn Highland get involved in a two-way game with Jokic in, in similar ways when Highland does see the floor um, that they do between Jokic and Murray. A lot of the same dribble handoff actions, shooting off screens, moving without the ball. Highland can do all those things, and I think he's going to provide immediate spark plug value for the Nuggets next year. That was a great pick for value at the back end of the first round. Speaking of great value at the back end of the first round, the Brooklyn, Nates, the Brooklyn Nets made a few deals. Four total draft picks last night were made, providing some good young depth for a team that is so top-heavy. Cam Thomas at 27. Talk about a team that's built on nothing but offense. <laughs> it, it really seems like with, with Kyrie, Harden, and KD, you bring in the draft's literal bucket-getter, Cam Thomas at 27. Dayron Sharp at 29 provides really good value from the center spot at the back end of the first round. Maybe he's not ready to step in and provide immediate contributions on the defensive end, but offensively, apparently he was shooting the ball lights out in workouts. We know about some of the, the untapped passing ability that might be there for him within the next few years. Does rebound the ball well on both ends of the floor. So at the very least... For a team that did struggle with rebounding, particularly against the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs last year, Sharp can at least provide immediate value on that end and, and finish some easy plays off of, off of lobs and rolls, especially when he's playing alongside such talented pick-and-roll guards like Kyrie and Harden. Kessler Edwards at 44. Regardless of what you think about his offensive game, I'm not in love with the jump shot. I've said that multiple times, but I got no bone to pick with him defensively. For a team that just needs defense... Him and then Raekwon Gray also at the back end of the second round, a Coach David third favorite. They could provide you immediate defensive value next year and just give you some interesting options to have on the wing slash the four spot. Um, if anybody, if any other team's specific player at like a three or a four is giving them fits next year in the regular season, maybe try and plug in one of those two guys and see if they can be a stopgap. And then David Duke uh, projected undrafted free agent target for them as well. Philadelphia 76ers, my hometown Philadelphia 76ers, a guy who I had a lottery grade on, Jaden Springer, they pick up at the back end of the first round, similar to how Tyrese Maxey was drafted later than anticipated by Philly last year. They pick up Springer. I don't know what Springer's going to be able to do for that team next year right out of the gate. I don't know if he would find as much playing time as Maxey did at some points last year, but... Long-term play, nonetheless, two, three years, they might have a really, really, really intriguing guard option to be able to hang their hats on. Philip Petrushev at 50, draft and stash, 
It's already been said he's probably going to stay overseas. So that's why they went with that pick at 50. But they do still draft a big man who will likely play for them next year, Charles Bassey out of Western Kentucky. He was one of my favorite sleepers at the center spot in the second round. Listen, they need big bodies who can keep playing behind Joel Embiid. The whole Dwight Howard thing didn't work out well for the 76ers last year at, at, at many different points. was a foul machine. I think Bassey could end up providing some value for them towards like the second half of next year's regular season. And then Aaron Henry is supposedly an undrafted free agent target for Philadelphia. The Utah Jazz steal the night. My guy, I had him mocked at number seven to Golden State in my GM style mock. Jared Butler, free falling to 40, likely due to the health concerns, but talk about a massive steal at pick 40. Reuniting him as well with Macy Oteague as an undrafted free agent target. Getting two Baylor guards fresh off of a national championship. I love it. Utah has always had a really smart front office when it comes to scouting and making draft picks. Talk about awesome value for those guys at both guard spots. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Butler can be a really solid backup for them as soon as next year. They need some more depth at the guard spot behind Mitchell. They have Clarkson. He's more of a shooting guard, combo guard. Wouldn't pigeonhole him into the point guard spot by any means. From a playmaking perspective, Butler can fit right into that role. The Milwaukee Bucks made a few draft picks at the back end of the second round. Sandro Mamukelashvili comes in at 54. We've talked about him on the pod. Excellent value, potentially really intriguing inverted pick and roll type center and playmaker at his size. Good value at 54. Georgios, I'm not even going to try to say your last name. I'm sorry. I heard Mike Schmidt say it last night at, at the back end of the second round. I got to be honest, guys, I know you want me to be an awesome draft expert. I try so hard to be as good as I can at this. I have not seen any film on Georgios. I can't tell you what they're getting with the last pick in the draft in number 60, but hopefully he can be a, a really fun guy to have at the back end of that bench for, for Milwaukee for years to come. The Chicago Bulls. Ayo Desumu was rumored to have a top 20 pro uh, promise. A few days leading up to the draft, falls all the way to 38, gets to play for his hometown Chicago Bulls. Do not hate that pick right there whatsoever. I think Ayo can actually come in and provide some sort of value at the off guard spot right away for Chicago. Ideally, you would have liked them to get a point guard who can much better run pick and roll sets because you kind of have other combo guards with Zach Levine and, and Kobe White. But Io will, at the very least, defend his tail off. Good kid, will come in, be a really solid worker for them. So the value at that point at 38, like it. Undrafted free agent target, Ethan Thompson as well. Boston Celtics made a pick at 45. Yuhan Bagarin, overseas point guard. Some people think he has pretty good upside for the future. Really good size at the guard spot. Believes about 6'6", with good length to him. Certainly, again, draft and stash type guy. I don't believe he'll be coming over, uh, coming over right away next year. So Brad Stevens probably has that in mind. Sam Hauser, apparently an undrafted free agent target. I thought he was draftable in the second round. Some people did, some people didn't. Either way, shooting value at the undrafted free agent slot. Why not Boston? 
Why not? The Dallas Mavericks didn't draft anybody. Actually, we're pretty much getting into teams at this point that really didn't draft much of anybody. We're just going to make this really quick, run through some undrafted free agent targets. EJ Onu for the Mavs, Carlick Jones, Farron Hunt, Eugene Omarui. Solid lineup of undrafted free agent targets, not going to lie. Um, Jordan Ennis, who was on our live draft show last night, if I was Jordan, he's a Mavericks guy, I'd be pretty happy with that undrafted free agent haul. I think one or two of those guys is going to turn out to be an NBA player. If I had to bet, EJ Onu and Carlick Jones could definitely be two of those guys. Although Mavs drafted, when he was on this podcast, he talked about Ferran Hunt as like a deep sleeper. He believes in him, so I won't, I won't rule him out as well. Minnesota Timberwolves undrafted free agent targets. McKinley Wright, we've talked about him enough on this podcast as a senior point guard target, and then Isaiah Miller. The Miami Heat, A.J. Lawson, fresh off of a really good NBA draft combine. Um, he didn't end up getting drafted, but I think that combine still at the very least got him this opportunity. Dejon Giroux, DJ Stewart, R.J. Nemhard, Drew Smith, Javante Smart, Micah Potter, all of these guys are going to be involved with the team in some form or fashion. I think a lot of them are probably just going to be on the Summer League roster. We'll see if any of them get either guaranteed two-way deals or, or, or even training camp opportunities. And then the Portland Trailblazers made a trade to get the infamous Greg Brown III at number 43. Pure upside play. will not see the floor for the Trailblazers likely next year. Who knows what he turns into in two years from now. I, I still believe in him to, to be something. I just would not have drafted him in the first round, and I think NBA teams were all in agreement on that point. And then undrafted free agent target, trended Watford. Somebody who actually had a decent following on draft Twitter. A lot of people thought that he should be drafted. I didn't really see him as, as a guy that I deemed was worthy as a draft pick, but definitely somebody who should have been a, a primary target in the undrafted free agent market, and he will have his chance with Portland. So that wraps up my initial reactions to all of these guys just getting drafted. Congratulations. Hats off to everyone who's either gotten drafted or has secured some sort of opportunity in the undrafted free agent market to prove themselves in the NBA. Welcome to the NBA family. I'm excited for all of you. That's what it's all about. My whole job is to evaluate, help point out where these guys can get better and what their strengths are that they should focus on. And I like cheering guys on. I like cheering guys on. I like helping people. That's why I do this. That's why I'm here. And nothing excites me more than draft night, seeing people's lives change, families' lives change. So I'm nothing but smiles to the draft. Despite, despite the shocked looks that were on my face at different points throughout the night, nothing makes me happier through the draft. That's going to wrap up this show, though. Again, just initial reactions. We will have plenty of shows for draft grades. We'll have some awesome guests on. Can't wait to get all those episodes out and, and record those over the next month, month and a half. But to everyone out there listening, thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at DraftDeeper. I'll be tweeting out thoughts for Lord only knows how long. I'll be keeping the conversation going. Come at me. Get some conversation going. I want to hear all of your thoughts. I want to hear what surprised you the most about this draft, who you're happiest for, who you would grade out well in the draft. I want to hear all those thoughts. And then subscribe to the podcast again wherever you get it. Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. I can't wait to be joining you guys in a little bit. Kevin and I are going to take a little bit of a break here. 
from the podcast. Not a long one, but just a short one. I'll be doing a few guest spots here and there. Um, but if we don't have another episode out right away next week, I'll be stepping away for a little bit. I need a little bit of time to rest before we do the draft grade stuff. And then eventually we get into 2022, the next scouting cycle. It's a marathon, not a sprint, everybody. But I'm excited that 2021's all wrapped up. We get to move into something fresh. I'm more than excited for Summer League. Hopefully I get to see some of you out there in Las Vegas. Kevin and I will be out there. Like I said, we'll be doing some live podcasts. And we did it. We made it to the end of the 2021 draft cycle. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned. But until then, have a wonderful rest of your week.